We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Filato. It's a beautiful, well, somewhat beautiful Sunday evening in northern New Jersey, western northern New Jersey, whatever you want to call this area of the country. And we want to talk some running backs with you tonight. It's time to break down the Giants depth chart by position, position by position. Those of you who were with us last offseason know that what we like to do during this dead, dead time and it will be dead from a content standpoint as far as what goes on on the field and with the current roster until July 27th when training camp resumes. But until then, we got a lot planned. But one of the things we're going to do is break down every position for a positional depth chart overview. We're starting tonight with the running backs, the quarterbacks. I know everybody wants to hear the quarterbacks. It's going to come later. We're going to have a guest on, the same one we had last year, Mark Schofield. I know you guys love that pod. Easily one of our best of the year every year. But for now, we're going to break down the running backs, just Nick and myself. And I'm excited to talk about this position. I'm excited to talk about Saquon Barkley in this offense. And it, you should be excited. Saquon Barkley's on the roster. There's a chance he returns to 100%. It's not a bad chance. There's a really good chance. Come back from the ACL, it happens all the time. Now we're seeing athletes come back from the Achilles, which is crazy. Like Emmanuel Sanders coming back at that advanced age from the Achilles was wild. So there's obviously advancements in health. So I'm excited, man. So let's dive right into the position but before we do that nick i want to hear how you're how you're going this weekend and just in general your thoughts on running backs for the giants heading into 2021 i think the thoughts of my the running backs first will start out you know i'm excited about the position you could tell that the giants we'll get into it a little bit you know put a priority on adding to this position which i don't know what that says about saquon barkley through his development i just think they realize you know Deion lewis players like that weren't exactly the answer when someone like saquon barkley goes down but as for my weekend it's been quite lovely i spent it in jersey not in denver this time but it's been it's been rather cool i'm excited for the summer and hopefully uh everybody can be safe and have a, and have a wonderful summer go down to the beach and enjoy the jersey shores yeah things are reopening in jersey good times to be had down there and across the country listen everybody if you get a chance to travel do so i'm gonna hopefully be doing so as well a little bit later this month but until then we're talking giants football with you and let's start with kind of the overview of the position one thing that i'm thinking about nick or that crossed my mind as I went through and started to do my research for this position for our podcast was just, I think the Giants did a really good job. Gettleman and his entire team, Judge, whoever one you give, whoever you want to give credit, Pettit, whoever you deem responsible, I think it's all of them, but spe- specifically Gettleman, 
of accumulating talent at a cheap cost. I do really like what I see from Corey Clement. We're going to get to more of that, so I'm not going to tip off any of that. But I like the idea of him on this roster, and I think he's extremely underrated. And I really like what I've seen in short spurts from Armstead. But more importantly with both guys, they cost nothing. You didn't have to invest a draft pick. You didn't have to invest any kind of contract that has any impact really at all on your cap. You didn't have to guarantee years to a player who you don't know if you can trust. In addition to that, you also bring in Booker. And so I don't like the Booker deal on the surface. I get it. But I don't think it's horrible when you just group all three of these in and you kind of give him all one total price for the three. You get three talented backs, I think, here for the price of around six, seven, eight million, nothing too much more than that. And I just think they did a good job of not overreacting to what they saw last season because quite clearly, Nick, I think they didn't like having Gallman and Lewis as the two backs behind Barkley because ultimately what it led to is a tipped you're tipping off your offense. Defense is new. When Gallman's in the game, it's most likely going to be a run. When Deion Lewis is in the game, it's most likely not going to be a run. And I think that's the motivation behind the Booker deal. But I think you see that with a lot of the uh, the talent they've acquired this offseason. Absolutely, Dan. I mean, they spoke pretty, uh, I guess you could say highly about Devontae Booker when they brought him in. Like, look, we can see him as a three-down back is what they said. They said that right. they felt like he could have that. And when they levied that two-year, what, $5.5 million deal to him, we were all like, okay, that's your first move in free agency. Like, this running back market shouldn't be of such a high priority where you're spending so much money on a player like that. But, you know, that leads me to questions about Saquon Barkley. And I guess we can get into this right now. And we've heard Saquon Barkley this week say, hey, what does he say? It's one day at a time. We're going to take everything one day at a time. I'm not going to say that I'm going to be ready. And I actually was watching GMFB and James Bradbury was on and uh, Peter Schrager asked him a question about Saquon Barkley. And he was like, oh man, he's going to ball this year. And then literally James Bradbury walked it back. Like it was so Joe Judgy and he walked it back. He was like, wait, excuse me. Let me, uh, let me walk this. Like he didn't say walk this back. He was like, let me say something else. He's like, we're taking it day by day. And then he kind of like reset himself. It was actually kind of funny. I was like sitting in this chair that I'm sitting in right now, watch the TV. He's like, that's so just Bill Belichickian and so Joe Judgy. Of it, Judge, Joe Judgian of him to walk that back like that. I mean, I'm hoping that uh, Saquon Barkley will be ready for week one, but they are truly taking this day by day. But as for Devontae Booker, they wanted to bring a player like him in that they felt like could be a three down back. And they viewed him, his time in Vegas, his time with the Denver Broncos as somebody who could potentially fill that role. Now, I think I, I speak for myself, but I might be speaking for you here, Dan. We don't want that to happen. We don't want to see Devontae Booker on the field in that kind of capacity. But I do feel like if he's forced into that, if something were to happen to Saquon Barkley, he would execute the running back position better than Deion Lewis and possibly, I would I would actually argue, probably better than Wayne Gallman as well in this offense. I think you're spot on with that. I think he would execute the role better than both of those players. Without a doubt, Deion Lewis, that goes without saying. Deion yeah. Lewis was a negative to have on the field because of how bad he was between the tackles. But I think more importantly than that, it just exactly what he gives you. It, what he gives you is a running back on the field that doesn't tip off your plays. Your defense is not going to know if you're going to use him in the passing game or the running game because you you have so much confidence in him in, in pass protection, in route running, that you can leave him on the field for a majority of your passing plays and not feel like you're at a massive disadvantage from mm. just having this extra skill player on the field who can't really help you. And that was kind of, how, I think, how they felt about Wayne Gallman. I don't know if that was fully justified. Gallman looked pretty smooth and natural on a lot of the screens he was thrown. Didn't run the greatest routes, though. Maybe that was more. And more importantly, I think it's the pass protection that really comes into mind here. Though, I would make the case that good offensive coordinators not really using their running backs in pass protection often these days. That's more so for the old school style thinking with it. Just 
there are times for it. Of course, you you need a chip when it's an obvious blitz, when your quarterback can see that there's a free blitzer coming. Obviously, you keep him in. But when you're facing zone and a lot of things of that nature, I don't ultimately think it's a great idea to have him in. But that's a, another talk for another day regarding how to use running backs. But like you said, I think you got it. This guy is somebody who they feel confident in. And I'm with you. I feel confident he can be a better RB2 for that reason. Yeah, and we've talked about on recent podcasts about how all of these running backs that Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge added to this roster, they're all similar build. They're all like 5'10", 5'11", right. 220 pounds. They love those guys who run low to the ground, who have really good contact balance, and guys who can pick up that hard yardage. And honestly, and we'll touch on a lot of these guys, but just speaking of Devontae Booker, he can do that. And he has pretty solid vision to put himself into a position to pick up those yardage, run through those arm tackles, and then fall forward for an extra yard, which is which could mean a lot in the NFL these days. So I uh, I don't hate that addition, and I do feel like if something is wrong with Saquon Barkley early on, we're probably going to end up seeing a lot of Devontae Booker on the football field in week one, week two, until he's fully ingratiated back into the offense. And I don't even know what that really specifically looks like. When will we see Saquon Barkley dominating the touches for the New York Giants? Is that going to happen at all this year? I mean, there's a lot of questions in my mind as to that because there's just so much uncertainty on his injury right now. Yeah, I can see that. And we'll get into more specifics on Saquon's injury later when we break down some questions and Barkley's individual breakdown. And for those of you just joining in to the positional series, we're going to run it a little bit differently this year. We're going to do an overview position. Then we're going to do individual breakdowns. Then we're going to follow that with three big questions facing the position. Finally, then we'll do a rotating segment. It'll either be bold predictions, a stat to remember, something of that nature. And then finally, the wrap-up which is one question from the from the listener. But back to your point, Nick, I think with Booker, he's a type of acquisition and overall talent they've added to the roster that I've really warmed up to. I don't like the deal. I don't love the deal. I don't like the idea of rushing out to sign Booker. But the case is there for him. Like If you watched him at Utah, you knew that Devontae Booker was a running back who can handle the load because they asked him to do it. He was on the field almost every snap, a weapon in their passing game, got a ton of carries there. He was churned out really there. And then he went to the Broncos, I believe as a third round pick, if I'm not mistaken, to the Broncos. And there was some, or fourth round pick, sorry. And there were some thoughts there that he could be a really sleeper pick for them, a really good talent because of the things you mentioned, his ability to create yards after contact. And in college, which was more pronounced than it has been so far in his pro career with the Broncos and Raiders, his ability to force missed tackles. I think the former is what he's better at right now, creating yards after contact. But if you look at some of the advanced stats, specifically what Pro Football Focus has done, and I don't want to just reference them, but I do like how they break down these running backs by yards created after contact per attempt. And year after year, as you look at the data start to pile up on that statistic, you see a lot of the breakout running backs be really good in that specific statistic. And I don't think Booker is really someone due for a late breakout because I think ultimately the translation from Utah to the pro shows that there was something missing. It's the quickness and the speed, which was he got away with against Pac-12 defenders, but he wasn't necessarily getting away with at the NFL level or hasn't so far. But overall, he has that trait you mentioned. And like you said, he can come in and be that security blanket because otherwise you don't have him and you're tipping off your plays with Corey Clement on the field or Reichel Armstead or whoever you end up putting out there in that time. So it's kind of ultimately a necessary signing. Yeah, and I think the main thing they like about him is just his physical nature. In, in pass protection, he's not... I don't want to say he's like good at pass protection. I actually had respect for Deion Lewis as a pass protector. I think especially pound for pound since he was, yeah. you know, like five foot eight and significantly smaller in terms of build, someone like Devontae Booker. I feel like they, Deion Lewis was pretty 
pretty good at in pass protection. Booker, he, he has some, he's given up some sacks in his career, but he can do it. He, he's not somebody who's going to be inept at that. And that kind of goes with all the things. What, what do you want in a running back? You want someone who can rush the football in between the tackles. You want someone who has the vision to kind of hit the cutback lanes. I feel Booker has both of those things. You want someone who can pass protect if asked to do so. Booker has that. Now, is it excellent all the time? No. But is it solid? I would say so. And then you want someone who can be a receiver. He has all of those elements to him. And you know what? Overall, if you look at the contract, yeah, the running back situation is kind of saturated. Or a little bit, I I would say. uh, There's just a ton of running backs out there right now. But at the end of the day, you need somebody. You need someone reliable that can fill in for Saquon Barkley if Saquon Barkley cannot play again because of the injury if he can get back on the field gets re-injured or what have you you need someone to be able to execute those assignments and he can do all those things now Deion Lewis could he run in between the tackles absolutely not he couldn't do that did he have the vision I would say he did could he pass protect yes could he receive yes but the fact that he couldn't run inside the tackles just made the Giants so one-dimensional when he was on that field so I think just significant upgrade in that in that area yeah they've added a lot of talent at running back again it didn't cost them much and that's the key there because that's what you want to see. They've done a similar job recently, at least, with those IDLs, getting Danny Shelton in really cheap, mm. getting Austin Johnson pretty much really cheap in my mind. I know he's not that proven, but I like what I've seen there. And again, that was so cheap, that contract. So those are the things you want to do. You don't want to be overspending and using too many of your key resources on running backs and, and interior defensive linemen because there's such a huge glutton, the, glutton of them in the NFL from a talent standpoint. And a lot of them can do the same thing and are dependent on other kind of positions and factors to work in their favor. But let's dive into the individual breakdowns now of some of these players. And I want to start, obviously, with Saquon Barkley because I know you just broke down and did a good job, and we'll get to later our predictions on this, but your thoughts on this injury and maybe we don't see him back week one, week two. I'm going to take an optimistic line, I think, all offseason on Barkley. And it's based on literally nothing. I'm not a doctor. It's me basing this on who he is as a person, one, I just think he's so determined to beat this injury. Two, his insane genes that he was born with, genetics. Like LeBron, I always talk about LeBron James, in my mind, is the single greatest natural genetics athlete in the history of the world. To be six foot nine, 260, and be able to move like that, you are by far and the way the best athlete. But Barkley is on that like level. He's not quite there from the size-speed standpoint, but when you factor in agility, leaping ability, all of that stuff... He's on that level of he's the top one percenter when it comes to just genetic athletes. So because of that, I think he might have a little bit of that Adrian Peterson factor in him. Like when Peterson tore his ACL, when they were redoing it, the doctor said, I'm literally feel like I'm looking at the cart the knee cartilage of a newborn baby. That's what he was looking at with Adrian Peterson. The guy beat an ACL in like six months and then was just played for another however Had many like years. Had like a record setting season. <laughs> yeah, record setting season. Oh, almost record setting. Just... Was it nine yards? <laughs> Remember that meeting yeah, that was yeah, going yeah, around? Yeah, yes. <laughs> so I bank on those two things and the third his age he's still 24 years old it feels like Barkley's older but he's not he was a pretty young rookie which is always a great mm-hmm. thing to get and so based on age those three factors I'm just banking on him being there for week one and being back to kind of what he was I don't think we'll get to this a little later but I'm not sold on him becoming this like bit piece running back I think when you have Saquon yeah. Barkley he's on the field but yeah, go no, ahead. No, no, no. Since we're talking about Saquon Barkley, I don't believe that will be it either, but I do believe the Giants are going to be cautious and they will use Booker a little bit more because they yes. invested in him and he's their number two. And especially if they have a solid number three, which I believe they will, and some of the guys we're going to get, go over later, like a Corey Clement, I'm going to cut you off there only because... There. Only because I saw this as a question we're going to be answering later. I don't want you to give away all the okay, cards okay. now. We got to cut it off because Good we're going. 
We're, we're going on a tangent here and we're answering the question. We don't want to answer these questions before we get to them. So kudos to everybody who sent in the questions for this podcast for each one of these with a the question of the listener. We'll pick the best one. This probably is a little bit of a spoiler, which is something I know in the Flotto family, everything's a spoiler. Oh, okay. They think anything's a spoiler. <laughs> Dude, but I, Please... Send slide into my DMs if you think Dan is wrong no, but about the spoilers. It was taken thing. out of context. I don't believe you should give spoilers. <laughs> I just think that you shouldn't give spoilers. Spoilers are a dumb thing. I hate when people spoil shit. Literally, my <laughs> my brother had the blank. I'm gonna spoil it by saying it had yeah, don't even, don't a major event in season three of of Game of Thrones spoiled for him by somebody, and it was awful. It changed the whole thing. So I'm against spoilers, Nick. That's not the point. But the point is, what constitutes a spoiler? That's the range here. Mm. I think you have a much wider range of what constitutes a spoiler than my range is. Like probably it's not that small, but it's like a mid- middling range of what I think is a spoiler and not spoiler. See, I, that, think, I, I find that interesting because to me, I feel like if we're talking about spoilers, and we'll get back to running backs real quick. <laughs> the show should be watched as intended and you should know nothing about it going in other than what somebody told you like basically the theme of the show is yeah we have a different perspective like when i was watching game of thrones i was reading along with it trying to get all the history in the background that went into like why things were happening yeah see i would watch it all and then i would do all the reading yeah i get it it's a different way to do it and that's probably why we have a different range of spoilers but back to the show the spoiler is we're going to end this show with a question from the listener. Maybe you guessed it. Maybe you didn't. Back to the running backs, though. Like, Saquon Barkley, let's start there. And I want to start with Barkley by just breaking down and going over again how incredible that 2018 rookie year was. Because it was... Silly, man. First of all, it was only two years ago. Like, at this point, okay, full three years ago. Sorry. But that... He's still 24 years old. He can be this player again. Not to mention, this season came on a 5-11 and team with a horrible offensive line. It... I don't know if the Giants' offensive line in 2021 will be any good, but it should be better than the 2018 line, without a doubt. I don't think it's possible for their offensive line to be worse than that 2018 line. Not First, some wood. I don't want to. Especially on paper, but <laughs> in any way or form. So he did it on that team. He also did it on a primarily on an offense that ran primarily inside zone, which has not worked to his favor. He was not running that a lot at Penn State, which is coming the year off of you. And now we get a chance to see him. We had this last year, and it didn't work out because of the injury, but now we get a chance to see him in a power gap based system. So let's talk about that and now let's go over it. In his rookie season, just listen to these stats, Nick. They're insane. He was the third rookie ever to eclipse 2,000 yards in a season. He joined Eric Dickerson and Edron James. He was the only one to do it on a losing team. Like I said, 5-11. and 11. Those two teams did on 11-plus win teams. Why does that matter? Well, because that, mean, that means they got positive game scripts for the run game. When you're winning, you run the ball more. You get a lot more attempts. You're trying to milk the clock. You're trying to get the game over with. When you're losing, you don't get those attempts. I don't want to throw any cold water on this, but I do want to provide the perspective that there were so many cheap checkdowns in the fourth quarter that led of to course. that. Of course. And I talked about his receptions. We'll talk about yeah, that. There's a lot yeah. of cheap checkdowns, but there's also some even so, on those cheap checkdowns, he's also creating yards after contact, though, and creating yards by forcing missed tackles. He's so a stud. It's partially that, and some of those he broke, but agreed. There were a lot of that. But here's the stat from that rookie season that always just goes, I go nuts when I see. And it was just so unbelievable. And this, actually, I want to give credit to where I first originally saw this stat. It's from a big blue interactive contributor, BSI Matt. So shout out BSI Matt if you listen to this podcast or if you're hearing this now for the first time. I appreciate this. This was incredible stuff. So according to his research, which was fact-checked by PFR, Pro Football Reference, in the past 28 years, only two backs had more than eight plays of 40-plus yards in a single season. Barkley had nine in that 2018 season. Chris Johnson had 10 during his. That was one example. And he won Offensive Player Rookie of the Year, or Player of the Year and Rookie of the Year. The other running back was 
Barry Sanders. And he had 12 of those plays in 97. Those were the only two people with more than nine plays. And this was an old stat, but it was a fun one. And so I'm putting it out there. So remember, this is through the 2018 season. Through the 2018 season, the end of it, Barkley had eight plays, or nine by the end of it, nine plays of of 40 plus yards on 331 touches. Elliott had six plays of that on his entire career until that point (laughs) on 978 touches. So in a third of the plays Barkley got there, just a little... If you have a want to, you know, throw a little jab in at your Cowboys friend, or he's telling you he thinks Ezekiel Elliott is a better running back than Zaquan Barkley, just dig the knife a little bit and throw that stat out there. Tell him it took him, you know, in one third the touches he broke more plays of forty plus yards. What a stat! What a stat! And what are we all about, man? We we like that home run hitter, and that's who Saquon Barkley is. He's out there. He's he's a big play type of threat, but he is more than that. And I do believe that this power gap system is something that's going to fit him much better than the inside zone system, where he had to kind of be a little bit more decisive. Power gap. It's usually one hole. If a cutback does end up opening up because a linebacker scrapes over the top to over pursue, you can make them pay. But I do believe that this system that Jason Garrett runs is going to benefit someone like Saquon Barkley. We, we didn't really get to see it last year because the Steelers were just so good against that Giants offensive line. We saw it on really one play against the Chicago Bears last year, and that was the uh, it was a uh, counter trade type of run, something that we saw early on. The Giants, it was end of the first quarter. They lined up in 13 personnel, and then they took Kane Smith off the line of scrimmage in a triple Y set. They took him off the line of scrimmage, put him at fullback, and then they ran that counter trade with the backside guard Will Hernandez pulling and then Caden Smith being that lead blocker. And we saw Saquon Barkley see this this uh, this gap open in the A gap that was not the design gap, and he just exploded through it. And that's the play where he ended up hurting his elbow, and we were all like, oh, crap, what happened? And they put Deion Lewis in for a play, and then Deion Lewis went out, and the next play was the play that where he tore his ACL. But, I mean, that was like an 18-yard run on something that used his vision and his feel for blocks. And I just really think that this, he... All of those skills will benefit him with Jason Garrett. I hope that we get to see it this year uh, on full display. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit more about that because I think that is a major a major plus, a major benefit for Barkley and this entire Giants offense for being in Jason Garrett's system because Jason Garrett's system does use a lot of this power gap stuff that we already saw he had a great feel for at Penn State. I always felt like his issues with vision were not due to the scheme he was running in, that power gap-based scheme they had with Joe Moorhead. I felt like it was other things, you know, just different reasons for that. And I feel like, just like you said, in that short sample, we saw him do a really good job of reading the play right here. And this is, by the way, before the Giants even got any good at this. This was week two of them on an offensive line learning a brand new system after predominantly playing in that inside zone-based system the season before. Now they have to come out and run this whole new system they're not, you know, in sync. The communication is probably okay at this point in week two. It's probably not great. And you saw just a glimpse of what it can be. So let's talk now about that power gap system. Why do you feel like that could be such a major advantage for the Giants when it comes to their run game, given Saquon Barkley will be their running back in 2021? Because I feel like Saquon Barkley struggles, well, I guess something that we pointed out, something that he might have struggled with a little bit in 2018, 2019, things that we always talked about a little bit was he was a little bit indecisive in terms of that inside zone, which hole to hit. And he would try to, if he did not see a hole develop, he'd always try to bounce it outside. Whereas in this power gap system, and for those of you who do not know, power gap is usually when you pull somebody. So you're pulling a lineman from the backside, unless it's a G lead, or you could pull from the front side, but usually typically you're going to pull from the backside. But that's not always a standard pin pull type of concept. So Uh, a lineman blocks down another lineman pulls around so then there's a lead blocker and then somebody ends up kicking another lineman out creates a defined hole in whatever gap they're trying to attack so that's 
the power gap system. So usually there's one defined hole and Saquon Barkley, his athletic ability, once he gets to that hole, he knows where he's going. He doesn't really have to think as much as you would in an inside zone system. And then he's going to have that alley defender coming downhill and he has one man to miss in that hole. If the blocking is all well and those linebackers end up getting picked up by the by the other linemen kind of coming off the line of scrimmage and picking them up, then you're going to have a safety coming downhill on Saquon Barkley. That is a very good situation for the New York Giants because good luck. I mean, the safeties obviously can tackle Saquon Barkley, but Saquon Barkley also has this unique ability to make people miss in a phone booth because A, he can just run through you. B, he's just incredibly agile. And C, he can jump over you if you really want, (laughs) if if he really wants to. So there's so many different things that he can do in that hole. I I do believe that this Jason Garrett system, that counter tray play and a lot of different things that Garrett showed, we criticize Garrett a lot. And I feel like we're honest with our criticism. I don't think we're... We don't like Jason Garrett or anything ridiculous like that. It's just the offense from a passing standpoint was a little bit unimaginative last year. But that rushing attack stabilized, especially around the Tampa Bay game and then onward throughout the season. We kind of liked what we saw from Jason Garrett, especially once they really started getting that counter tray play down pat and they really started having Caden Smith be that lead blocker. The backside guard, Shane Lemieux, did a really good job in that role. Kevin Zeitler was also pretty solid in that role as well. So I think with Saquon Barkley and his dynamic ability, we're looking at a a game-changing back in a in a system that is going to require him to think a little bit less and that's something that I really uh I'm I really am looking forward to and I think he could have had a big year last year but unfortunately ended up getting injured yeah I just think you just said it best right there it's his ability to think a little bit less that's not necessarily a bad thing you shouldn't view that as Saquon Barkley can't figure things out or Saquon Barkley doesn't have that down it was him being asked to run a system he's not familiar with that inside zone based system that Pat Shermer wanted him to run and he has to make more decisions and when it works by the way when it's at its best it's that Washington game from his 2018 season where there's a hole he hits that cutback lane immediately and he breaks it for 75 yards and a touchdown and that's my question with you is they're going to do you still think that they're probably going to want to mix in plays where you can get that one cut and go because of his acceleration and breakaway speed correct yeah, that and also you can get that in power gap schemes as well because all you take all it takes is you're gonna still reading. It's not like you're not thinking as a running back, but you're watching those linebackers. Linebackers are gonna over pursue against Saquon Barkley. They're gonna see the backside guard pull them like, that's my run key. Right. Oh, the hole's developing over there. I see someone kicking out. Let me scrape over the top there. And then if there is a backside lane that ends up opening up, Saquon Barkley can see that that linebacker over pursued and then he can hit that backside lane and then you have a ton of space between a safety and Saquon Barkley and that's what you're really going to be looking for and I feel like Saquon has a pretty good feel for that. Now we didn't get to see him uh, really develop that through 2020 because of that injury but there were a few plays in 2020 especially that one that I brought up before it was towards the end of the first quarter right before he got injured where he saw a cutback lane that wasn't the design lane and ended up running for 18 yards and just evading defenders at the second level because he's so hard to track down yeah I think you, you're right he really does have an excellent feel for being in space at the NFL level and that's not really just the NFL level you watched him at Penn State you remember that USC game in the Rose Bowl where he had oh, yeah, one dude. of the greatest runs I've ever seen a single running back have in my lifetime it might be the best run I've ever seen and you knew that he had a great feel in space but I think the key thing with Saquon Barkley is something you brought up actually a little bit earlier Nick and it's not only what makes him so special in what we think or what we project to be this running system with a lot of power gap because it does help benefit him there just like what you said before having him think less but it's also what makes him who he is it's that ability in a phone booth he 
And what you mean by that is just that short space where it's basically you and a defender and one guy, ha- he has to make attack on you. It's the, the game of football is he may be there right on you, but he still has to bring you down. And you see so many forced uh, missed tackles from these running backs lead to big plays, touchdowns. Barkley's one of the best in the NFL at that. His trait is that when fully healthy, he is the best at that because like you said, he has the full arsenal. He has the power. He can shake you right off. He has the agility to cut and make you go the, the wrong direction. And he, like you said, he can also do neither of those things and just jump right over you and there's other things he can do i've I've watched a couple plays from 2018 he can just cut off angles that aren't actually angles and he can turn it into a long game based on that so he really has a four-pronged arsenal when he's in that phone booth in space and that's what makes saquon barkley such a special running back prospect still 24 years old and that's why we're so excited to see him in this system Absolutely, and hopefully we can see him being used in that passing game too because I think he would also – I mean, Jason Garrett, he tried using screens last year. We, we talked about that. It was it just didn't seem like it was effective. But those backside screens, you get Saquon Barkley in space, man, and I feel like they hit one against Pittsburgh early on where they, they hit him on the backside and he ended up just accelerating, picking up a first down on a third and long. That Those are just – drive-changing plays. Those are game-changing plays. And Saquon Barkley, I mean, is there a running back that's just better in space than he is? Like, when he's fully healthy, I mean, it's arguable. I mean, Christian McCaffrey's obviously very good in space. Derrick Henry's somebody you're never going to want to tackle. But the Giants possess one of the best running backs in the league right now. And if, if he can just be 100%, then, I mean, with Kenny Galladay, with all these other, with all these other weapons that the Giants added along with the developing offensive line we hope and then a developing quarterback we hope and then a coordinator who's going to change a little bit we hope then hopefully this this offense can really kind of match what the defense brought last year and we're looking at a good football team finally yeah for sure I mean Barkley will have to be a big part of it there's no doubt about it he's everything they need in this system they need someone if you're going to run this system and we know like you said, we're hoping for some changes, but it's still going to be the same terminology. It's still the same system. The system we're not—he's not turning it completely over. No one's hinted he would, and he himself hasn't. So, with that in mind, we know there's going to be some heavy personnel packages. We know they're going to want to run the football. That's what this is. You know, they all—everyone in that organization still believes that it's really important to run the football and to be physical in the run game. And I don't hate that. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I still think there is value to it. You just have to have find a balance and when i say balance i mean make that pass heavy the balance should always be pass heavy the, the balance is not 50 50 it's certain percentage pass and certain possession percentage run but with that in mind barkley's a big part of it so let's dive into a few more of these barkley key stats we'll run through them and then we'll move on but before we do that let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. All right, a few more of these records. So he broke the all-time rookie, Giants single-season rookie rushing total, uh, touchdown record, sorry, with 11. So no Giants rookie running back had had more than 11 rushing touchdowns. He did that. He also broke the all-time rookie running back record for receptions with 91. He beat Reggie Bush out. And I know, and I wrote this, I know a lot of that was Eli checking down, sometimes even on third and long. And I still think that, but I still think the Giants need to target Barkley around 100 times or more this season. I think that's the move for this season because when you get defenses to account for Barkley as a receiver, and I think if I didn't believe in his skill set as a receiver, though I don't think he's fully shown it yet, but if I didn't believe he has a skill set to run routes at all three levels, not just the short and intermediate, but the vertical stuff. And you saw a little glimpse of that against the Washington football team two years ago, I believe. Not the not the rookie season. The one where he kind of planted his leg in the dirt and ran a vertical route straight up the seam against Washington. And he was wide open. Jones just kind of just lofted. He didn't loft the ball there, but Jones threw the ball out there and Barkley kind of had to catch up. It was a little bit behind him, but yeah. he just had to slow down, I should say. But Barkley running that vertical route was the defense had no way to account for that. They were not expecting a running back to come out of the backfield, plant his foot, and shoot that vertically, and they couldn't catch up to it at all. Yeah, I have no question that he can do things yeah. like that on a regular basis if they ask him to. But right. again, like we've talked about with protection packages and you're in a one running back set, you sometimes need to have that running back kept in there because the defense is showing blitz and you need to not only have a five-man protection, especially if you have a longer developing route. So sometimes he's not able to, and that's why he has to stay there, make sure that blitz doesn't come, and then release if the blitz doesn't come. And that's why he's not able to go vertical and he just stays short, close to the line of scrimmage. Right. Yeah, but I do believe that with that in mind, because that's obviously a good factor as well, if you use him on a more diverse, and like you were saying before, you don't have any doubts he can do it. I do have doubts he can do it. I think he needs reps. But it's not that he can't do it. It's, I know he can do it. He just needs reps. He needs to be used in these ways. He needs mm. to build up a lot of reps against live action, running these kinds of routes, different kind of wheel routes, different kind of vertical routes, different kind of arrows out of the backfield. But if you find a way to do what Sean Payton and Scott Turner have done, Scott Turner is the best example of this because he has not had much talent to work with. He's had Kyle Allen in Carolina. He had Alex Smith last year as his quarterback. He had a beaten up Cam Newton, and yet he finds a way to move the football because he finds free yards using his running backs as a key cog in the passing game, using them as specific routes that he knows are going to get advan- he's going to get an advantage on and be able to pick free yards up on. And when you have Barkley, it's not just that you get free yards with these routes. You also, every time it happens, get the potential of him, like you said, making someone miss in a phone booth in space and breaking it off for a touchdown or a big play or a chunk yardage play. The things we're talking about this offense needing. So I do really believe in 100 plus, I believe making him one of the key cogs and using him a lot in a lot of the same ways that Scott Turner has used McCaffrey and now last year Gibson and McKissick. And then also how Sean Payton has obviously used Alvin Kamara and every single back through those years can and should be done with Saquon Barkley. It'll change the way defenses have to play the Giants. It'll open up everything for Kenny Galladay and all the other weapons we talk about. And it will maximize Barkley's skill set specifically, I think. He needs those reps. Needs those reps. And also, man, now the Giants have Kadarius, Tony, you can just have so much pre-snap movement, pre-snap motion to just get the defense on their heels and then try to get Barkley just a little bit of space, a little bit more space than what he had. And that's going to give him a significant advantage. You could also just use Kadarius, yeah. Tony in a similar way. There's just so many 
deceptive things you can do with this offense now because the personnel is there. That's not an excuse anymore like it was in 2020. And it was a valid excuse in 2020, but still we could see how that offense was still very unimaginative with all the personnel concerns. I mean, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, they're they're solid players, but they're not those types of players that your defenses are going to have to focus on shutting down. Saquon Barkley is that player. Yeah, you're 100% right. And when you're an offensive coordinator, I believe you have more of an excuse for when you don't have skill players than you do when you don't have the offensive line because you put the offensive line out there and there's only so many things that you can scheme around them doing for the most part. And this even goes more so for me for quarterbacks. I think quarterbacks have can use offensive line as a bigger crutch and excuse than coordinators as well. The coordinators, when you have the weapons, you can then start to get creative and think of different ways to get defense's attention going to one weapon then it going to another weapon, but the whole time you're going to weapon three or have it go to weapon two and one and then back to two. There's different ways to have the defense to draw the defenses in one direction and then go the complete other way, which is what you were basically just breaking down one of the ways doing it. There's obviously more ways, but that there's no excuse anymore. I agree with you for that from that standpoint. Yeah, and I also thought Daniel Jones also did a better job just this year, and this isn't a quarterback podcast, using his eyes. But with Daniel Jones getting better with that specific trait, that's going to allow, if you have a pre-snap motion, you can really, you know, look at Kadarius Toney, come off that, all the safeties and linebackers are flowing that way, come back this way, find someone, Evan Ingram or Saquon Barkley or somebody on a check for now. It's just so many different things they could do now that they have the personnel that's going to put the stress on the opposing defense. Yeah, it's even, you know, you give all the credit in the world to the Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reeds of this world, or even more so just like I'm saying to the Patrick Mahomes of this world. But look, they get a lot of cheap yards in their offense. Like, and I use the word cheap as a, that's not even the right word to use. They get a lot of well designed, creative yards on an easy. When I say cheap, I basically mean easy. They get a lot of creatively designed, easy yards in that offense. There's a ton of what you just said. Defense is flowing all in one direction, and then the ball goes in the other direction. And yeah, they have a lot of skill, uh, talent and skill positions to take the most of that, and they have a quarterback who can put the ball anywhere at any spot with any velocity. But with that said... There's just designs that you see where you're like, oh my God, the whole defense was going that way and the Chiefs gone a completely opposite way. And look how easy this now is. Absolutely. And you're 100% right. Personnel is there and everything like that, but still the scheme is there. And that's a kudos to Andy Reid. Yes, sir. All right. A couple more crazy Barkley stats to run down. So I just want to give a perspective of how good he can be. He can be game changing for this team. He's done it. He's done it before with nothing around him. So he also broke Eric Dickerson's rookie record for the most 100-plus yard total yard games. He had 13 in just 16 games. Insanity. He tied Odell Beckham Jr. for the most receptions by a rookie at any position. He's a running back at any position with 91 uh, in Giants history. This one surprised me, Nick, so I want to hear your take on it. He was the first rookie running back in Giants history to run for 1,000-plus yards. He did it week 14 against Washington. That is pretty unique. Right? I'm trying to think of like another Giants rookie running back. At least in my time, there mm-hmm. isn't anybody that would have ever eclipsed. Like, Ahmad Bradshaw didn't see the field until that right. Buffalo Bills game, you know? Jacob's the same. I mean, yeah. definitely wouldn't happen yeah. in our lifetime, I don't think. David Wilson maybe. Was Tiki Barber, like, extensively used? That was, like, That's a, a little child at that time. So. You would think, though, like, back in the early days of football, they were mm. saying when they were running the ball 40, 50 times a game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there had to be somebody <laughs> just churning yards, right? Like somebody one of, our, get, one like, of our older listeners could be like, this guy had 999 yeah, or something. Yeah. So many fact, yeah. I'm pretty sure this, these stats were fact check, but if somebody can refute it, I'd love to hear it because there seems, there, you got to think somebody was just getting fed the ball like every, like 30 times a game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like How a, does he not get to 1,000? 
I don't know, man. I mean, those veteran running backs, they must have really liked the, the one-two punch even back then, I guess. It's possible. It's definitely possible. I know quarterbacks were running the ball a lot. The fullback was running the ball a lot. It was just like a bunch of like option bu- football. It was like, <laughs> almost like watching rugby, but then with bombs. You ever watch, you, have you ever seen the Jets Super Bowl win with Joe Namath? It's one of the craziest experiences. Oh, Joe Namath taking like nine step drops. Yes, yes. So this it's is awesome. why when I first saw that game, it was such a wild, mind opening experience for me because I went into it expecting it to be like really old school football, like tons of runs. Maybe I see one pass downfield the whole game. It was nothing oh, yeah. like that. They were these quarterbacks were taking these like you said nine step insane drops, where they're just like moving backwards really fast and just bombing it both sides just ripping balls downfield all game and then they had this unbelievable system going with the refs where they had like a relay system to get the football back into play like one ref would like get it and like and run and like flip it to the other guy he'd catch it he'd flip it back it's like they only had one ball in play there <laughs> it was just like it was awesome watching that man watch some old school football it's not what you think it is there's some there's some gunslingers the jets had don maynard man he was one of the better vertical threats of that time man. number 13 for mm-hmm. them he was a stud Good times for Jets fans, I guess. Not much after that, though. Oof, that one could go over poorly. Not on this podcast, though. This is the Big Blue Banter podcast. We only got Giants fans here. Same gangrene over here. Yeah, we only got Giants fans here. I'm good to go on that one. All right, he also, Saquon Barkley, just to run down a few more of these, he joined NFL Hall of Famer Randy Moss as the only two rookies in NFL history to rack up five touchdowns of 50-plus yards in their rookie season. Five touchdowns. He's unbelievable stuff i didn't know that to be honest until you i saw it in here and then kim jones who i'm gonna give credit for actually had a good point she said the giants had just three rushing touchdowns of 50 yards or more during their past 10 seasons before barkley came so from 2008 to 2017 they had just three of those and then barkley had three in one season so or no i'm sorry five in one season so that's if that doesn't say it all that's that's crazy when you think and i'm like trying to go through my head on who those those three were, you know? Yeah. Because, like, Tiki Barber, we saw it, like, all the time, like, when, when we were kids, but... Bradshaw had to be one um, of well, them, Well, right? Bradshaw against the Buffalo Bills. I was think that, that 07? O- that was 07, yeah. So that one qualified. This is from yeah. 2008. So did Bradshaw break off any in his 2008 season? There was a lot of yeah, big runs there in that was, 2008 there season. The we're not going to go through that right now, but... We're not going to... We yeah. should have gone through it before. Maybe someone get back to us if you know that. I do... I think at least one of them came in that 2008 season, because the offensive line was at literally an all-time high. Mm-hmm. That offensive line in 2008 was a be, oh, it was so much fun watching the Giants football team in 2008. What a year to watch the Giants! If you were just watching week to week as they went into Pittsburgh and beat up on the Steelers, I think were like undefeated at the time. Then they beat the Ravens. They were 11 and one at one point. 11 and one. How good yeah, does they, that? And they feel? lost Monday night to the Browns. <laughs> Tragic. I don't remember that. But this also reminded me that Barkley play where he broke off that big uh, run against the. Washington football team. That was actually if I, I, there's a little stat on this uh, that I didn't include. I think he had like a buck eighty eight in that game on just fourteen carries for one hundred eighty eight or fourteen for one seventy. Nearly broke the Giants' all time record for a game. It was just crazy stuff. But one thing that was awesome. Do you remember the fifty two yard run? This is the one he thought he should also scored on. He got stopped, and he's like, "Do you remember the block by Shepard on that run?" Because that that was what he was talking. It was all Barkley was talking about after the game. Do you remember that block? I vaguely do. Yes. Yeah. That he ran all the way from a across the, the field, Shep, all the way down the field and got in the way and made a block to help uh, Barkley yeah, get Shep's yards. always been a, a low-key dog when it comes to blocking. Dog when it comes to blocking. But speaking of blocking, because we're about to transition, this is a good segue right here, off of Saquon Barkley, that has been one thing that has kind of been a problem for him is his ability to not just 
pass protect, but locate the pass protector. That's a big problem. Yes, and uh, and look, he had a rookie left tackle in front of him, but I watched the Pittsburgh game recently, and I saw about three, I would say, three miscommunications, and kudos to Pittsburgh's defensive coordinator because he would literally scheme, and he would, he would have Bud Dupree as a four technique right over the top of a of an offensive tackle, which was Andrew Thomas, and he would loop him wide, and then he would bring a cornerback right around him and right through the B-gap, and it would always confuse the protection. That happened three separate times, and honestly, there were times where I felt like Andrew Thomas might have been the one to blame from a communication standpoint, but then there were times where Saquon Barkley and him just went for the same guy, and I think it might have been Saquon Barkley. Typically, in that situation, you would want... Andrew Thomas, since he knows that Saquon Barkley is going to have protection, to take the to take Bud Dupree because he's going wide, and then Saquon Barkley can step into the B gap and execute his block. But there were times where that didn't happen. Now that could be blamed on Andrew Thomas, and then there were times where Andrew Thomas would go and take that other guy, and then Bud Dupree would just be free to run at Daniel Jones, nobody on him. So it, there was just miscommunications, and uh, you know, you seem like you want to blame Andrew Thomas just because he's the rookie and maybe, you know, logically it's like, okay, you should take Bud Dupree at all times. But there were times where I looked at Saquon Barkley and I was like, I think maybe you should have been in the one executing this block. So that was something that was a little bit of a concern because we really wanted him in 2020 to clear that up. And now we didn't get, you know, a huge sample size, but the Steelers definitely uh, had their way with the Giants protections in in week one. And we saw it in 2019 too, man. It wasn't that great. So that's something that he's going to still need to probably work on when he gets back. Yeah, and I wouldn't even be so fast as to, not saying you are obviously, but I'm saying I wouldn't be as so fast as blame that on the rookie Andrew Thomas because of what you said. He needed to prove that he could get better in that in 2019. He didn't have many reps to show that he did in 2020 and then he got hurt. So that still remains a concern. I also want to peel that back though. I want to ask you how much of that is on Daniel Jones because I think a lot of the, you see a lot of these great quarterbacks as they get older and you saw this with Eli during that year when both Jones and Eli played and the offensive line seemed to do a lot better from a communication standpoint the game Eli played. How much of that is the quarterback being like to his to checking to the right signals to both Thomas and his offensive line and to his running back to be like this is what's going to happen after the snap this guy on the defense is going to go this way this guy's going to go this way you can go this way you should go this way like how much of that is on the quarterback I can't fully I can't I don't really fully know but what I do know or at least what I do surmise is that Saquon Barkley is going to have the plus one. So he's going to have that plus one defender outside of the count. And that's usually that corner. He's not in the box. So he's going to have that guy if he ends up coming. And I saw that happen. I think two of the three times there was a miscommunication. Now, Andrew Thomas is trained. Obviously, he's going to eliminate the most dangerous threat. So if somebody comes through the B gap, if that guy loops around like I saw twice in that game, two of the three times, then he's going to take away the guy who has the clearest path to Daniel Jones, which is the guy coming through the B gap. Right. But he should know, like, okay, I have Saquon Barkley block, and he should eliminate that plus one, and right. I should focus on Bud Dupree so there's not a mis- mismatch of Bud Dupree on Saquon Barkley. So th- that's why I tend to lean towards uh, Andrew Thomas, but there was also other plays where I felt like Andrew Thomas did what he was supposed to do, but then the B-gap was wide open, and Saquon Barkley did not get to the B-gap. He ended up taking the guy up the arc. But I don't know the exact call, so I'm just yeah. kind of, you know, spitballing right here. But I do real. I just know, just logically, you want... Andrew Thomas to be blocking the bigger guy and you know there's a six-man protection package Andrew Thomas should know that at that point so he knows Saquon Barkley is there to protect that B gap if he's on that side 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know, for example, either. That's why I was asking yeah, you. Yeah. And but I do think I I am definitely leaning at at least that it's possible that you see the big difference between having Eli and Jones out there from a communication standpoint, and that a lot of this could just be on the quarterback. Peyton Manning was another. I mean, there's countless examples of quarterbacks doing a good job of with, this, with others e- doing a less so good job of with it. Eli in those situations. What I love he did, yeah. and, and and you know what, Daniel Jones, he did this in 2020, so I don't want to rail him for this. But Eli would be like, okay. Oh, that blitz, that nickel came. All right, I'm throwing hot. I'm just going to get rid of the football. I already see him, right. and, and I know there's a receiver over there. I know the route combination. I know he's going to be open. Daniel Jones, I feel like he did that at an okay level, but he could get better at doing that in this season. Yeah, for sure. I just think that that's something I agree actually did a much better job of. I think it's the overall package that I feel still like, that I still feel like he really needs to improve when it comes to just having all those blitzers accounted for on a more, higher percentage of plays. Mm. There's still just too many plays where it seems like the Giants just had a, the, the other team just had a free blitzer. And if their quarterback had a little bit of a better understanding, maybe, of where that blitzer was going to come from, they wouldn't have had that free blitzer. All right, so I know we teased a running back breakdown at the beginning of the podcast. You're still going to get that. We're still delivering that. But. We're going to break this into two podcasts because we know from all the feedback we've received from you guys, when we kind of eclipse that 45, 50 minute mark, it's kind of when you start to list, lose listeners. And I get it. Nobody wants to listen to an hour and a half, two hour podcast. Maybe you do. And just let us know if we're hearing the wrong thing. But we're going to break this up into two. The first one, which we just recorded and you just heard, was our breakdown of the overview position plus Saquon Barkley. And then the next podcast, we're going to get into some of those things we teased at the beginning, which are you know major questions facing this position group. A rotating segment which could be the key stat question from the listener and the other backs on this roster who like you know we know are going to play a big role this year because of where we're at with Saquon Barkley in his road to recovery so we'll dive into all that as always please do us a favor and leave us a rating and review on iTunes if you do leave a rating and review on iTunes might as well be asking a question in there because if you ask a question there we'll answer it on the show and that's a lot of fun we like hearing from you there as well and also follow us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. That's NY in front of Big Blue Banter. And finally, follow us on YouTube. Type in Big Blue Banter into the search bar and then hit like and subscribe on videos. Nick just dropped a breakdown of Daniel Jones versus the Pittsburgh Steelers in week one of the 2020 season. Take a look at that. A lot of good stuff that me and Nick went over there and a lot of stuff that Nick specifically broke down in this one. And so I think you're going to like it. So give it a shot. Otherwise, we'll talk to you very shortly as we plan to drop this part two right after this. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.